Jason, I ask that you bow your head or read along with me. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. For your arrows have sunk into me, and your hand has come down on me. There is no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There is no health in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. My wounds stink and fester because of my foolishness. I'm utterly bowed down and prostrate all the day I go about mourning. For my sides are filled with burning and there is no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and crushed. I groan because of the tumult in my heart. O Lord, all my longings is before you. My sign is not hidden from you. My heart throbs, my strength fails me, and the light of my eyes, it also has gone from me. My friends and companions stand aloof from my plague, and my nearest kin stand afar off. Those who seek my life lay their snares. Those who seek my hurt speak of ruin and meditate treachery all day long. But I am like a deaf man. I do not hear. Like a mute man who does not open his mouth. I have become like a man who does not hear and in whose mouth are no rebukes. But for you, O Lord, do I wait. It is you, O Lord, my God, who will answer for I said, only let them not rejoice over me, who boast against me when my foot slips. For I am ready to fall, and my pain is ever before me. I confess my iniquity. I am sorry for my sin. But my foes are vigorous. They are mighty, and many are those who hate me wrongfully. Those who render me evil for good accuse me because I follow after good. Do not forsake me, O Lord. O my God, be not far from me. Make haste to me, O Lord, my salvation. And Peggy Moore, will you come and pray with us? Let's pray together. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture, the flock of his care. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. My people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord. When I open your graves and bring you up from them, I will put my spirit in you and you, and you will live. I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. And Father, you... You said this to your people. You said this through Elisha, and you said, live. 
you say the same to us, Father, and we are able to live because you have given us your spirit. You said this to Elisha when the Israelites were taken captive, right before they were taken captive, Father, in Babylon. And they must have wondered, how are we to live in this foreign land? And we too look around and we see all that isn't right in this world. But that doesn't stop you, nor should it stop us, Father. So we come before you today with thanksgiving, knowing that you cause us to live. And in you is everything we need to live in this day, in this time, within all of the circumstances that we have. Some of us are hurting. Some have lost loved ones. Some are struggling, Father, to see you in the midst of financial struggles, health struggles, in a confusing time within our families where there's estrangement because of ideologies that are just not of you. But, Father, you tell us to live. And so we will live. And we will look to you for our comfort, for our peace, for our strength. We come now, Father, we ask that you would speak through Pastor Dan, that you would bless this time together in worship, that we would be able, Father, to praise with thankful hearts, trusting you, and knowing that we are being equipped to do your work. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. to 
Thank you, Gabby. Let's continue our worship this morning with our catechism question number 28. What happens after death to those not united in Christ by faith? And our answer, we'll say this together. At the day of judgment, they will receive the fearful but just sentence of condemnation pronounced against them. They will be cast out from the favorable presence of God into hell to be justly and grievously punished forever. Our short answer, they will be cast out from the presence of God into hell to be justly punished forever. In our scripture this morning, John 3, 16 to 18 and 36, let's say this together as well. For God so loved the world that he gave Gave his only and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. There is power found, 
stand as we sing the
has made us a kingdom and priests to God to reign with the Son. Is he worthy? Is he worthy of all blessing and honor and glory? Is he worthy? Is he worthy? Is he worthy? As we remain standing, Brother Paul Morgan, will you come and pray? Bow with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father, we come confessing that we so often want our kingdom to reign. That the desires of our hearts are to be known rather than to make you known. That the desires of our hearts is only wickedness all the time is nothing new. It has been that way since we in Adam chose our own kingdom over yours. But you are a God of great mercy and of grace unmerited and of love freely given to those of us, all of us, every single one of us who have hated you with perfect hatred and have desired our own thoughts above your thoughts and have chosen our own ways above your ways and have walked in the way of evil instead of righteousness because that is the bent of our heart. But you, Lord God, again, are a God of great mercy, unmerited favor, grace unbounded. Because you have not only granted these things to us, but you have given us the faith to believe that you are, in fact, the Lion of Judah who conquered the grave. You are the great and sovereign God 
You are the Lord Jesus Christ, and you are worthy of all praise and honor and glory and power and dominion and authority, and all of these things belong to you and are your just deserts. They belong to you as the right of the creator of all things. You are the one and only true God. You raise up rulers and you bring them down. You determine the times and seasons for all of us. Before the creation of the world, O oh God, you numbered our days. Each of us individually, you knit together, you knew exactly what you were doing. And we are, Lord God, humbled before your majesty. And we bow and again pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Bring your glory, Lord God, to completion. Hasten, Lord God, your return. For if you tarry, who will be able to stand? When evil abounds on every side, what shall the righteous do? is what your word says, the question that your word asks. And the answer is clear. You, Lord God, are in heaven and are unchanged. All around us may appear to be falling apart, and justly so. For we rightly receive the condemnation of your righteous anger. But you, Lord God, again, are a God of mercy and of unmerited favor and of infinite grace and kindness. And you have loved us freely who hated you. Lord God, show us how to live in a way that loves you and loves our neighbor above ourselves. In the name of Christ Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So once again, uh, as we come together, I am so blown away by all that has taken place already in our service, and and uh, blessed, and. Uh, you know, one of the things that as we go through these catechism questions uh, and the songs that we have done, truly we have someone who is worthy to open the, to, to break the seal and open the scroll, and his name is Jesus Christ, the one who paid it all, amen? He paid it all, and we stand on that. We stand on that belief. We believe that our sins have been paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ, amen? But as we, as, we, uh, as we believe that and as we hold to that, as we cling to that, there is another sobering question that comes uh, out at this point in time, and it is so important for us not to avoid it, not to act as though it's not there, but to address it head on. It's a very uncomfortable subject to talk about. And the question is, what happens after death to those 
not united to Christ by faith. I'm telling you, in the course of history, it is the question that has been avoided. In fact, R.C. Sproul, one of the great theologians, was once asked which doctrine he struggled with the most, and he replied, hell. Straight out, I struggle with hell. The doctrine of hell is uncomfortable for most of us. However, our understanding of hell shapes our view of the gospel of Jesus Christ, of God's holiness, and our depravity. If we don't accept the reality of hell, we won't rightly understand the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which we have just read about and sung about this morning. We just won't get it. We won't understand it. So the reality of hell is so important for us to understand, not to avoid it, not to poo-poo it away, not to just say, well, okay, it's there, but we won't talk about it. But for us to just really heads-on grapple with it. And I'm going to say some things that even for my understanding have been stretched and, and, uh, and, and really pushed to the limits. And I, and I just hope you hear me out as we, as we go through this. So, uh, so, Lane, we're all the way up to the reality of hell, so I bypass the, the answers and stuff like that. So the reality of hell, here is, here's just some things that uh, there, there are many, there are many, even within churches today, who would uh, say that the topic of hell is not even mentioned in Scripture. Not even mentioned in Scripture. But even a cursory read through the Scripture shows that Jesus himself talked about it plenty. In fact, Jesus talked about hell more than any other author or person in the Scripture. Jesus himself spoke about hell. In Luke chapter 16, he described the great chasm over which none may cross from there to us. In Matthew 25, Jesus tells of a time when people will be separated into two groups, uh, one entering into, the, into His presence and the other banished to eternal fire. Not only did He talk about it, not only does He give reference to, to hell, He describes it in great detail. He says, it is a place of eternal torment. Torment in Luke chapter 16. And of unquenchable fire, Mark chapter 9. Where worm does not die, again, Mark 9. Where people will gnash their teeth in anguish and regret, Matthew chapter 13. And from where there is no return, even to warn loved ones, Luke 16. He calls hell a place of outer darkness in Matthew 25. He compares it to uh, uh, Gehenna in Matthew uh, 10, verse 28, which is a trash heap or a trash dump outside the walls of Jerusalem, which was always burning. The rubbish was always burning and it was full of maggots. Jesus talked about hell more than he talked about heaven and described it more vividly. So there is no denying that Jesus knew, believed, and warned about the absolute reality of hell. Which brings us to a point, the reason for hell. The problem with the topic of hell is that hell, rather than God, has become an object of fear. Did you hear what I just said? I grew up in the church, you guys. 
Here's what I was told. Do you want to go to hell? Which the answer is, okay, that was kind of, are some of you kind of questioning that? Do you want to go to hell? No. Amen. So it was preached as hellfire brimstone to scare the out of you. We were scared and believing in Christ so that we wouldn't have to go to hell. I remember as a kid accepting Christ because I did not want to go to hell. But here is the issue, folks, that we have missed and we have lost in the reality of hell. The topic is not hell. It is God. It is God, the almighty creator of heaven and earth, the one who made hell. The problem is that we, it has become an object of fear and that fear object should be in God, not of hell. Consider these words, these sobering, the sobering warning from Jesus himself. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and and body in hell. Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. Hell is not horrible due to its describable uh, implements of torture or its temperature. After all, it is described in various places in Scripture as outer darkness and the lake of fire. Whatever the exact nature of this everlasting judgment uh, is it is it is horrible ultimately for one reason only and that is this the presence of God and this is where I've been stretched okay this is where uh, then I'm going to throw some stuff out and I want you to think about it don't throw any tomatoes yet okay I just want you to think about the horrible it is it is horribly uh, it is horrible ultimately for one reason only and that is uh, because of God's presence. And so what do I mean by this? God's presence. This sounds strange uh, for you and I that are familiar with the definition of hell as being a separation from God and heaven as a place for those who have a personal relationship with God. But if you really read Scripture, if you really look at it, Scripture does not speak in these terms. Quite the contrary is true. If we read the Bible carefully, we must conclude that everyone, everyone in the world, past, present, and future, is a creature made in God's image. And everyone has a personal relationship with Him because they were made in His image. Saved or unsaved. I'm not saying that this is a salvific issue. They are made by God. We were meant to belong to God. Therefore, God is, after the fall, either in relationship, in the relationship as a judge or as a father to his creatures. Did you catch that? Either he is in a relationship with, particularly those who are unsaved, as a judge, or to those who are saved, as a father. He is in and always will be in relationship with his creatures, his created creatures. 
and God, who is present everywhere at all times, will be forever present in hell as the judge and the father to those who live in heaven. The judge to those who are in hell and the father to those who are in heaven. Now, I know that that's a stretch, and I just want you to think about that. Hell is not ultimately about fire. It is about God and his relationship to those that he has created. Just as heaven is not purely future, it is breaking in on the present through the kingdom of God. Hell, too, is breaking in on the present. As it says in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the, un, the, all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. But it goes on in verse 20, but, the unrepent, but unrepentant humanity is without excuse. Folks, everyone is without excuse. Humanity is without excuse. So they're tortured. Those that do not believe their tortured consciences drive them to expel the thought of God entirely from their horizon. But they cannot evade the revelation of His wrath. They cannot avoid, evade, get away from His wrath. You see, hell is not uh, ultimately about fire, but it is about God. Whatever the exact nature of the physical punishment, the real terror awaiting the unrepentant is God Himself and His unescapable presence forever with His face turned against Him. That's hell. Think about that. Paul doesn't uh, does Paul does speak of being cast away from the presence of the Lord in Second Timothy chapter uh, one verse nine, and at the same time we are told in Revelation chapter uh, fourteen verse ten that anyone who receives the 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 the, uh, uh, the, the mark of the beast will be tr uh, tormented in fire and sulfur uh, in the presence of the holy angels in the presence of the Lamb. These verses are best reconciled, in my view, by recognizing that judgment consists of being ex uh, executed from God, uh, uh, or being excluded, I'm sorry, uh, the judgment consists of being excluded from God's presence as the source of blessedness but not from God's omnipresent lordship. And that is just something for us to think about in this, in this whole issue of hell. Jesus talked about hell because it is the fate that awaits all people apart from him. Because of Adam's sin, we're all guilty and deserve God's eternal punishment. Contrary to popular belief, hell is not a place where God sends those who have been especially bad. It is our, everyone's default destination. And because it is our default destination, as we have sung about today, is there anyone who is able to break the seal and open the scroll? His name is Jesus Christ. 
He is the only one. We need a rescuer. We, because we all stand condemned. We all are in need to be saved from the wrath of God. So we're left with two options. Stay in our state of depravity and be eternally punished or submit to the Savior and accept His gift of redemption. Those are the only two options, folks, that are left in this world. So I want you to think about that, that, that presence of God. And, and as, we, as we just kind of turn a corner here and we speak of the goodness of God, the one truth that allows me to accept the justice of hell is the indisputable certitude of the goodness of God. Even though God is a just God and God is a God of wrath and, there, and people will be punished. And whether you want to believe that God's presence will be there yet His face will be turned from them, that's up to you. But I want you to understand that in the midst of it for you and I today, that we reflect on the goodness of God while the notion of hell is difficult for you and I to grasp. Jesus with nail-scarred hands is worthy of our complete trust. Amen? He is worthy of our trust. His goodness causes you and I to look ultimately not to hell, but to the cross. So God is both great and good. His greatness causes you and I to bend the knee and cry out in awe and in wonder and, in, and fear Him. With holy fear, we realize that we don't deserve salvation. We deserve punishment. That's what His greatness causes in us, folks. It causes us to bend the knee and cry out in awe and wonder and holy fear, realizing that we don't deserve salvation, but we deserve punishment. And His goodness, on the other hand, causes us to rise up in endless praise, grateful for His Savior. His mercy allows us to enter into His presence boldly and without fear. Because He is good, we can have a relationship with Him as a child, dearly loved, snatched, if you will, from the very flames of hell. J.I. Packard, in one of his classic books, Knowing God, uh, writes of the goodness of God and the severity of God. The character of God, the character of God is the guarantee that all wrongs will be righted someday. When the day of God's wrath, when his righteous judgments will be revealed, when that arrives, retribution will be exact and no problems of cosmic unfairness will remain to haunt us. God is the judge, so justice will be done. One day, one day, all that is wrong, folks, one day, and this is what we cling to, this is what we believe right here, one day, all that is wrong will be made right. Amen? All that is wrong will be made right. We'll see all God's ways as good, including 
the demonstration of his, of his eternal justice. We will see it as good and right. So for now, what's our response? What's, what, 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 what would God ask of us? He has shown the old man what is good and what is right. But to love mercy. Say it to me. But to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God. I didn't, I didn't put that up there, but just I just for now we walk in humility and in faith, trusting with the words of our Apostle Paul through God. Oh, the depths of mercy. Oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God. Romans chapter, uh, chapter 11. Let me just read it again. Oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable His ways. Folks, that's where we are today. That is where we are. But the topic of hell, I just want to propose to you because this has been a stretch for me. The topic is not hell. It's God. It is God. The God who doesn't want that anyone would perish. But the God who will bring justice on all those who do not believe. And it will be just, and it will be right, and it will be fair. And we don't get it, and we don't understand it. And I know for, for me growing up in the church, I, I, I know that sometimes we do this with our children. We try to scare them into believing Jesus Christ. And my friends, I just want you to understand, if we're going to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to do it because He is God. Not because if you don't, you're going to go to hell. Yes, that is a truth. All right? But the topic of hell is really about God. It is about God. In fact, all of the catechism, catechism questions that we've been talking about are ultimately about God. They're about God and His plan and His purpose and His direction and where He will carry all things out to his, for His own good, for His own glory, for His own purposes. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His ways and His judgments and how inscrutable His ways. I just want to encourage you today if you are on that fence not really realizing where you stand for eternity, then I'm not here to say if you don't believe in God, you're going to go to hell, which is the truth. But I want you to understand that Jesus stands at the gap for you in the middle of that gap, and he says, would you believe on, in me so that you might have eternal life? And that eternal life saves you, rescues you, forgives you, and brings you back into the presence of God who made you to be His. 
receive the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. So if you're here today and you're there in that gap, not really realizing, yes, hell is a reality. Yes, it will be, it will be uh, eternally separated from the face of God who made you, and that will be hell. It will be hell because he, he will turn his back, just like Jesus Christ on the cross, when it says that God turned his back and, God, and Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That was a picture of hell, just for a moment. The answer is Jesus, whom God sent to be your substitute, your rescuer, the one who would restore your relationship to him. So we're going to close. I'm going to invite you to stand. We're going to, we're going to sing a song that just lays all of this out before us this morning. I'm just going to invite you to stand as we sing in Christ alone. alone my hope is found he is my light my strength my song this cornerstone this solid ground firm through the fiercest drought and storm what heights of love what depths of peace when fears are stilled, when tidings cease, my comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ I'll Yeah. 
rose again, and as he stands in victory, since Christmas lost its grip on me, for I am his, and he is mine, but with the precious you go from here today, stand in the power of Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior. All God's people said, amen. amen. God bless as you go from here.